Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at Parable underscore Ministries and visit our website at ParableMinistries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. According to author C.S. Lewis, the hardest decisions to make in the Christian life is not between that which is evil and that which is good, or between something that God clearly does not want us to do and something that God would approve of, that is between virtue and sinfulness, No, Lewis says the hardest choices in the Christian life are between the good and the good, between something that seems like it would be pleasing to God and maybe another opportunity that also seems equally pleasing to God. When faced with two different opportunities, which should the believer take when both seem to be God-honoring and perhaps even something that God would will, and yet with no clear indication between the two? When I was in college, my professor posed the following scenario to us as students. He said, say you have an opportunity to serve at a Christian camp as a counselor, impacting uh, students' lives for the gospel. But say you also have an opportunity to have a job back in your hometown. And in this hometown, uh, you have an opportunity to influence uh, perhaps some unbelieving friends you had in high school for the gospel. Both jobs would pay the exact same. Both jobs would um, equally glorify God. Both jobs would be opportunities for the gospel. Which should we choose? To be a camp counselor at a Christian camp or to influence unbelievers back at home with um, in whatever job that you would have open to you? In this scenario, my professor suggested, along the lines of what C.S. Lewis also proposes, is that God is not so much concerned about which opportunity you would choose between, say, being a camp counselor or working a secular job for the summer, but God is most concerned about the kind of person that you are in that situation. Will you grow to be a Christ-honoring person as a camp counselor? Will you be a Christ-honoring person and a good witness um, at working a secular job? If the answer to both those questions is yes, then C.S. Lewis would say, just pick. God, is again, is not concerned about which option you choose. He's more concerned about the person that you are or the person that you're becoming in those situations. Again, for Lewis, God's will is not so much about being in this location at this particular time or that location at this particular time, but the kind of person you are becoming. Are you becoming a fruitful Christian who loves God and loves others well? According to Lewis, that is what God is most concerned about. I like what C.S. Lewis says here, and I do agree that God's will is much more concerned um is much more uh, pertinent in terms of who the person that we are becoming, not so much the uh, opportunities that we have before us. But I do believe there is a sense in which God does direct and guide our circumstances for his purposes, for his glory. And that in choosing between the good and the good, we should seek that which is God's best. Again, when choosing between the good and the good, believers should seek God's best. Well, how do we know what God's best might be? 
especially in a situation where there are seemingly two different good options before us. To help us understand how to find God's best for our lives and the way out of a dilemma between the good and the good, I want to take us to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul himself was faced with a situation between the good and the good. And in Paul's situation, he ended up finding and discovering what God's best is. And in finding God's best, I believe Paul provides an example for us to follow and a framework of a principled framework out of which we can make decisions as followers of Jesus. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing from prison in Rome. According to what we find in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul was arrested in Jerusalem in Acts chapter uh, 21, and then he was um, sent along the way up the, uh, the Roman political food chain uh, from place to place, from ruler to ruler, from prison to prison, until he ultimately ends up in Rome, in prison, in Acts chapter 28. Now, most scholars believe that uh, the imprisonment in Acts 28, Paul wrote Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, and Ephesians. Those are known as the prison epistles or the prison letters. And while in prison, Paul found himself discovered that there was great opportunity for the gospel. Now, the occasion of the the letter to the Philippians is Paul's response to a gift that was given to him by the Philippian church. In Acts chapter 16, we find Paul and uh, Silas and the team that Paul was ministering with go to the city of Philippi. And while in Philippi, they plant a church, but soon are they, they're run out by, uh, by, the, by the Roman authorities and by antagonistic uh, Pharisees and Jewish groups. However, this church ends up being, um, grows and ends up being fruitful and a church that was very near and dear to Paul's heart. So while in prison, this church was concerned about Paul, presumed that he would be discouraged and upset about his circumstances, and so they sent him some kind of a gift. We don't know what the gift exactly was. It could have been food, could have been money, could have been clothing, could have been any number of things. And the letter that we call Philippians in our New Testament is actually a thank you letter from Paul to this church in Philippi for the gift that they had given them. Interesting thing about Philippians is that um, the attitude of Paul in this letter is not one of discouragement or despair in being in prison, but rather thanksgiving and joy. In fact, the words thanksgiving and joy and their uh, their cognates appear in Philippians more often than anywhere else in the New Testament. Some scholars have rightly said that Philippians is the epistle of joy. So the reason Paul seems to be so joyful is because he has found a ministry there in prison. He's been witnessing to the guards that are surrounding him each day, and some of them are becoming Christians. And Paul realizes that God has appointed him in this place for this time for the sake of the gospel. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes these words. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. With these words, Paul tells us that no matter what is going on in his life, as long as the gospel is being advanced, he's at peace. In fact, he's not only at peace, he is excited, passionate, and praising God. Paul is not so much concerned about his own personal circumstances as he is about the gospel being proclaimed to the world around him. So Paul found that while in prison, he had his own ministry to the prison guards. His friends were more bold to speak the word of God um, while Paul was in prison. And even Paul's enemies were also preaching Christ. So in all of this, Paul rejoices. So we find that Paul is a person who is dominated by the advancement of the gospel. If the gospel is advancing... If more people are coming to know Jesus, if there's fruit, spiritual fruit coming out of people's lives, then Paul sees this as a success. This is Paul's goal, to see the gospel advancing, to see people actually growing in their faith. If that's happening, Paul says that his personal circumstances are really of no concern. Now, Paul's attitude here, I believe, is very, very challenging for us because most of us, <clears throat> if we're honest with ourselves, um prize comfort. We want to be comfortable. We want to be safe. We want to um, make decisions in our lives that would reflect some level of security and some level of tranquility and peace. Paul didn't have those kinds of priorities. Paul sought the advancement of the gospel above all else, the exaltation of Christ above all else. So he goes on to write in the rest of verse 18 and through 19, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I'll not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, these are some of the most uh, famous words that Paul writes. In fact, these are um, these verses are my own personal um, memory verses and life verses that I've adopted for myself because I, like Paul, I want to be a person that, that exalts Christ, whether I live or die. I want to be a person that lives for Christ, whether it's in this life or in the next. I want Christ to be all in all because that's how Paul lived. That's what Paul believed. That's what Paul wanted. Christ was that precious to him. Christ was his treasure. Christ was everything. So, in wanting the gospel to be advanced and people to grow in their faith is Paul's way of expressing this deep longing to know Jesus and to live for Jesus. But here comes the dilemma for Paul. Listen to verse 22. Paul writes, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
So Paul says here that his desire, his ultimate goal is to depart and be with Christ. That means to die. Paul wants to um, be with Christ forever. We know this from uh, what he says later on in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where he says that I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The reason Paul wanted to attain to the resurrection of the dead is because Paul wanted to be with Jesus. And with the resurrection, we get to be in God's presence forever with our new resurrected bodies, which are made in Christ's image, and we will be with Christ, with God, with the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in all eternity. Paul knew that the goal to, uh, the way to achieve the goal that he had was through death. As we die, the promise is we'll be raised again to new life in Christ, with Christ, forever. And that's what Paul wanted. So Paul said, I, my desire is to be with Christ. That is far better than this life. Being with Jesus forever is way better than anything this life could ever offer. However, Paul said that he is hard-pressed between the two. On the one hand, he wants the good thing of being with Jesus forever. In fact, that might even be the best thing. Yet, Paul says that he's having a hard time deciding between the good and the good. The other good for Paul is staying with the Philippians. Because if Paul continues in this life, it means he gets to continue to advance the gospel in the lives of others. He gets to continue to help people um, meet Jesus. So he says in verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. That means more people get to know Jesus. That means more people get to hear about Jesus. So he's, he can't decide between being with Jesus forever or telling more people about Jesus. Both are equally good in his mind. However, Paul resolves this dilemma between the good and the good in verse 23. He says, or verse 24, I'm sorry. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He tells the Philippian church, for me to continue living is more necessary for you. Here's why. Convinced of this, Paul writes in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So here we have it. Paul is stuck between the good and the good, between the opportunity to uh, depart, to, to die in prison, to be executed, and to be with Jesus forever, or to hopefully get out of prison and then minister to others and continue to see the gospel be advanced, to see people's uh, joy and faith in Christ increase. And while on the one hand, it would seem that the best thing in this time, in this scenario would be to be with Jesus and to, to die, Paul says, in actuality, the very best thing that could happen is that he continues to be used by God to strengthen the faith of others. Paul says, it is more necessary on your account that I remain in the flesh, that I help you in your progress and joy in the faith that I remind you of God's goodness and his faithfulness, that I continue to proclaim the gospel to those who have not yet heard. 
Again, the highest good for Paul was seeing the gospel advanced. Yes, Paul's deepest desire is to be with Christ, but because he so desires to be with Christ, he doesn't want to leave others behind. And for Paul, the best way he could use his time in this life is to help others meet Jesus. The highest good he could ever possibly do for Jesus, the way he could glorify Jesus the most outside of worshiping him, is to help others become worshipers too. Paul knows that his ultimate goal will be achieved one day. He knows that life isn't going to go on forever. He knows that he'll die someday. He knows that eventually at some point he, he, will, he, he will die. And, and, uh, and at that time, in God's timing, he will be able to experience the resurrection. But while he has time, while he has a choice, he wants to stay in this life and help others come to know Jesus. So getting back to our question about when believers are faced between two different options, between the good and the good, how do we find God's best? Based on what we learned here in Philippians chapter 1, and we see in the example of the Apostle Paul, is that in every circumstance, believers should ask themselves, how do I best exalt the Lord Jesus and advance the gospel in the lives of others? How can I exalt Jesus and help others come to know Jesus? How can I help others grow in Jesus? How can I help others become aware of who Jesus is? How can God use me and my gifts, my personality, my opportunities, my circumstances to make a spiritual impact on others? That really is God's best for our lives. Now, ultimately, um, we want to be with Christ, just as Paul did, and have resurrected bodies and be in the New Jerusalem and to experience the new creation to its fullest in God's kingdom and God's presence. But what God, what matters to God now in this life, in this time, with the time that we have, is that we use it for Him. That we use it to glorify Him. So when faced with a decision between the good and the good, believers can find God's best by asking how can they make the greatest impact for the gospel? So going back to the analogy of working at summer camp or working or working a secular job and influencing non-believers, in that situation, while neither option is better than the other, in that situation, a, a Christian should ask, how can I be most used of God? How can I help others really grow in their faith? Where is the best opportunity for the gospel to be advanced? Through a summer camp or through working at home? Now, in those situations, I'm just using those that as an example. In those situations, the believer would have to discern at camp, what will the opportunities for the gospel look like? How much in spiritual impact will you actually make? How much contact we actually have with kids and what would that look like? Is that really worth the, the opportunity? Same thing with... Um, looking at working a, a secular job at home and influencing um, other um, non-believers. Uh, what are the circumstances there? What, what kind of contact with non-believers would, would be happening? Um, is there really opportunities to share the gospel? So all those things would need to be weighed out, but the overarching principle would be, how can I be used of God to advance the gospel best in the lives of others? That really is God's best for our lives. That really is 
ultimately, according to Paul, and I would say the New Testament, what life is to be about. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 6, uh, he, he told his audience, he said, Do not seek the things the Gentiles seek, for they are worried about where their food is coming from, where their clothing is coming from. He said, Your father knows you need these things. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. So just as Jesus told his first century audience that principle, he tells it to us as well. That we are to seek first the kingdom of God, even above comfort, even above necessary things like food and clothing and, and shelter. Trust God to provide those things. What we need to be occupied with, what we need to be concerned with is how to best seek God's kingdom and to advance the interests of God by advancing the gospel. So in closing, friends, I want to encourage you that when you are facing decisions between two seemingly good options, good opportunities, both of which would be God-honoring, neither of which are sinful, when you are faced with those kinds of situations, apply the Paul principle we learned in Philippians chapter 1. Ask yourself, how does this best advance the gospel? How does this best exalt Christ? And once you've found the answer to that question— how you can be used of God to advance the gospel in the lives of others. Once you've identified that, the answer to that question, then pursue what you think God's best opportunity would be for that thing. Let the gospel be your guide. Let the gospel be your priority. Let exalting Christ be the motivation out of which you are living. And when operating on those principles, everything else will fall into place everything else will fall into place. When seeking God's kingdom really is the first thing we're actually trying to do, all else is details. Everything else is details. So my encouragement is that you would um, be like Paul and seek to exalt Christ and advance the gospel in the lives of others. That's my hope for for my life as well. And that every decision we make, every opportunity we are... um, considering and every um, every uh, every question we might have about what to do or where to go would be would be worked out of that framework of trying to find out how to best be used of God and for the exaltation of Christ and the advancement of the gospel in the lives of others. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We are a volunteer organization and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.